Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, Those joining us online, again, from wherever you happen to be in the world today, warm or cold, sunny or dark, it doesn't matter. We're glad you're with us today. Uh, So good to have you in this space. If you're new and uh, Maybe this is your first weekend or you've been checking out Stony Plain Alliance Church over the last little bit. I'm meeting a number of folks that are walking in the door wondering, you know, how does it work here? Well, we're just so glad you're here. We hope you found a comfortable spot. And we're going to be looking into God's Word together in just a moment. And this weekend is uh, the last Sunday of a, a whole month in stewardship and in generosity. Next weekend, we're beginning a series that Matt has put together about the message of the cross as we lead towards Holy Week and Palm Sunday and Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday. So this whole next month and a half is going to be leading us towards uh, understanding in greater detail what it means to follow Jesus as his apprentices and walk in his way and find fullness of life with him. Now before we get into our text today, I want to share an update uh, from Ray and Cindy Perry. There are international workers who serve in Mexico, and the last Sunday of every month we do a prayer focus for them and hear a little bit more about what's going on with their ministry as we uh, work together. We're here in Stony Plain, there in Mexico City, but working to the same ends to see fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus. They wrote this update that life and work has started off uh, with a lot this week. They had an intern arriving in January, and that intern is getting up to speed, a short-term team. They came in February, so they're working with an intern and a short-term team. There have been great and stressful moments for them. Those highs and lows that we go through in life, they're experiencing those are the same. Uh, So many good things, though. They're hearing stories of youth coming to Jesus, choosing to follow Jesus, or recommitting their lives at the youth retreat that was organized back a number of weeks ago. And five of those young people ended up getting baptized. So we're celebrating with them uh, this weekend. That God has provided financing and support for the intern that's working with them and connecting with her family. A young man experiencing relational healing as part of the ministry there while part of that short-term team. And just watching walls come down and a layer of healing happen in a young girl who had experienced uh, abuse and difficulty in her life as she was engaging uh, with that short-term team. There's a number of things coming up for Ray and Cindy in this next month. There's meetings. There's some meetings with some some intensity to them about the, the future of the ministry there with our denomination as well as with the Mexican church. And so right now, they're navigating a lot of those things like many of us do, those things that we're celebrating and the things that are causing us some anxiety. And so as we come together today, we're going to pray for Ray and Cindy and lift them up before the Lord as they're ours. They belong to us. We've sent them. And uh, we just want to be absolutely connected to what God's doing through them in Mexico City. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me now as we lift up the needs that they have. Father, we do thank you for Ray and Cindy, and we bless them. Uh, Ray and Cindy, if you're watching, because you often do, we bless you today in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We bless you with the strength and reassurance of God that you are in the place you're supposed to be, doing the work that he has called you to. And we as your church, we believe in you. We believe in your calling, and we stand with you today. We stand with you in prayer, in celebrating the lives of people being transformed, these young people getting baptized. God, hold them firmly by your spirit as they continue to walk with you. Thank you for the healing that people are experiencing as they come to you and find that your mercy and grace and love is sufficient for them. We pray for their 
their teammates and this new intern that they're working with. God, would you give them uh, relational clarity, the understanding of how to work well with one another. We know one of the ways the enemy seeks to divide and destroy is by um, through interpersonal relationships and conflict. So God, we pray that you'd give them insight and wisdom on how to navigate any of those difficulties that may arise and that by your grace and by your power, they would see breakthroughs in the people that they're working with. God, the word on my heart today for them is just that, that word sustaining. God, would you be the sustaining power? When things aren't going like they're supposed to, like they often do in our lives, or when things are going like we expect, we know that there's this drain that's in our lives sometimes as we serve and as we give. And so we pray your sustaining power upon them. I pray that they would feel carried along by the prayers of your people today. And we will continue to be mindful of them. That although we work in, in separate places, we are about one mission. We're about the mission of God in this world, seeing people experience fullness of life. And so, Grain Cindy, we bless you with fullness of life today, that you would be sustained in the power of God. And we all pray this together. In Jesus' name, amen. Back into our series. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're looking at a a story that, um, a passage of scripture that Paul is writing to a church in Corinth about a, a particular issue that he wants this church to participate in. We're going to get into that context in a minute. But if you have a Bible, 2 Corinthians 9, if you don't have one with you, the, all the scripture is going to be coming up on the screen. We're going to walk through and see what God has to say to us today as we conclude our series in generosity called Open Handed. You know, I was thinking about it this week, about what what in my life has really kept me from being generous at various times? What's really been the motivating factor behind starting to close my fists, close my hands around resources, instead of being open-handed with my resources? Like, what's been the motivating factor of that? Because I think so many of us, we believe this stuff about stewardship. We believe the things about generosity, and that God wants to set us free in the area of our finances and stuff, and so that we're not attached to our things but our things belong to God, and we're, they're absolutely at his, at his beck and call to be used. And yet, we come up against all this stewardship stuff, and we believe it, but sometimes I hold back. Sometimes, even under the prompting of the Holy Spirit, I won't respond. I don't want to give. I don't want to be generous with my time. I don't want to be generous with my resources in different ways. And I'm thinking this week, why is that? Is it because I'm just greedy? Well, I hope not. Maybe sometimes. I hope I'm not greedy. You know what I think it is for me? I think oftentimes I'm just afraid. I'm just afraid. And if you're like me, I think we can what if our way out of generous living. Hey, I would love to contribute that, but what if something else comes up? Uh, What if I hadn't made a plan for the future that's going to cover that potentially unexpected thing? God, I'm afraid there's going to be a rainy day. And as much as I'd like to be open-handed, I'm actually afraid to do it. I think I need to keep more for myself because I have no idea. Have you, have you looked around, God? The world's volatile. Like things are going all sorts of different directions and we don't really know what's coming. And we're afraid to invite God into the area of our finances because often we're afraid of what God's going to ask of us. And that when God asks us of things, we'll be left with not enough. You want to know why sometimes I'm not generous? That's it. I don't think it's a spirit of greed all the time. I think it's a spirit of fear. And so we resist inviting God into the area of our finances where he really wants to set us free. And we're going to hear today that God's not actually interested in the amounts that we give. He's interested in our hearts. And money is one of those indicators. Resources is one of those indicators about the condition of our hearts spiritually before Jesus. 
And so we say, God, I'm, I'd love to live open-handed, but I'm afraid to do it, so I'm going to hold on, and I can't have you involved in the area of my finances or resources yet. And yet, if the bottom were to fall out financially, I would not pray, hey, God, you know, I've been holding, on to, holding out on generosity, so I'm okay, honestly, I know things are bad, but go help someone else. Not at all. When times get tough, we all of a sudden believe in the core of our being that, of course, everything belongs to God, and I need more of his stuff. So, God, if you could unload some of that. If everything comes from God, I need some to come my way. Well, when money is in the bank and we're feeling good financially, most of us aren't really interested in having God involved in our finances. But all of a sudden, when the bonus doesn't come, or when interest rates go crazy, hypothetically, or an unexpected cost comes up, well, then we get all spiritual about money, and we want God involved in our finances then. That's strange. It's true about me. Well, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that shows us how we invite God into the area of finances now so that if we get sick or we lose a job or have triplets or whatever, you can be at peace knowing God, you've always been at the center of my life and finances. You've always been at the center of my financial world. And you've sustained me in all sorts of ways. So now that I'm facing this challenge, I'm not going to give in to fear because I know you'll continue to be a faithful provider. Second Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is telling a church about inviting God right into the epicenter of their financial reality. And these were not people that were flush with cash, just so you know. In 2 Corinthians 9, there's a really specific situation going on. You see, Paul has been traveling around the area, the places that he had been uh, planting churches and establishing ministries, collecting an offering for the struggling churches in Jerusalem. Things had gone really bad in Jerusalem where the Christian church had got its launch, where Paul had actually been for a while and been trained under the apostles' leadership. So Paul has been sent out now. And that mother church, the one that had been part of, part of planting all the other churches in the world at the time, was now struggling. There was all sorts of persecution they were under, and financially, it was a devastating time. And so Paul is going back around, and he's saying to churches like the ones in Corinth, listen, you have been so exceptionally generous. You've been part of doing something to help support this other church of people you've never met that's struggling. And Paul is amazed at their commitment and love to a group of people that they'd never met, had never interacted with. And now Paul says, now that you've given to so this church in Corinth, now that you've demonstrated this open-handed kind of life, I want to tell you how the whole giving thing works in the economy of God. Because you've been open-handed and said, we'll take what resources we have that we believe belongs to God anyway, and we're going to respond to that need. And Paul says, you did the right thing. Now let me tell you what you can expect. When you choose to live in an open-handed way, in a, in a kingdom-first mentality, let me tell you what you can expect. And he explains to them a principle that has often been misunderstood and misused, honestly. And we often avoid this principle I'm going to talk about because it has got abused by people in manipulative and hurtful ways. And that's not what we're doing here today. But the scripture clearly teaches this principle, so we want to get a hold of it. Paul says here, Here's how to live an open-handed life as a follower, a follower of Jesus and ensure that we're not trying to resist God in the area of our finances. Here's verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9. He says this, remember this. This church has already been generous, right? 
Now he's saying, let me, let me tell you how it all works. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Now he's talking about money in particular in the context here. And what Paul is describing is a rule called the rule of the harvest, which goes like this. If you put a little bit of seed in the ground, you're probably going to get a little bit of a harvest. But if you sow generously, if you put a lot of seed in the ground, the likelihood is that the harvest is going to be bigger. Friends, when we choose to be generous, we are at that moment when we follow the Holy Spirit's prompting to do what God's asked us to do, we start to partner with God in the area of our finances. We invite God into our financial world and surrender to His leadership the resources we're stewarding, and we choose to sow or plant generously in our finances. It means to live open-handedly, to not clutch and grab and keep for us, but to realize that God's involved in all of this. And the more we give, the greater the harvest. Now, we're going to get to what the harvest is, because that's been misunderstood. We're going to get there. But Paul says, just hold on to this idea of this harvest. Paul says, in the same way the, a farmer takes a handful of seed and says, the only way to reap a great harvest is by sowing seed, that rule of the harvest. In the same way, if you learn to sow generously in your finances, you can actually expect from God to reap a bountiful harvest. And a lot of you immediately went to sow like a fuller bank account. Don't go there yet. That's not what he's saying. In other words, God has set into motion, into effect, the rule of the harvest in our relationship to resources. If you sow generously, you can expect a great harvest. If you live closed-fisted and hold tight to finances and say everything is mine, if we sow sparingly in a miserly fashion, you can expect a very small crop. And as this whole harvest talk is going on about what you put in and what's coming back out, this is not a quid pro quo deal of, so it's more like I put in a little and God gives me back a whole bunch of money. So if I put in 10 bucks, I can expect God to give me 50. Is that what he's saying? Some people have taught it that way. And you may have heard teaching around like seeds of faith and everything else. And it's particularly, it comes to a particular person. This is, you know, if you give me all the money, I'll ensure that God gives you back a whole bunch more. And that's not what this is saying. Please, friends, this is not what this is saying. Paul is talking about this idea of the kind of life we're living, the kind of attachments we have, and what we do with our resources and how it says things about our hearts. And when he starts talking about a bountiful harvest, he's talking about a full and expansive life. Instead of living a small, cold, boundaried existence that just has what I have, Paul says when we open our hands and begin to give generously, it actually leads to a more expansive and open life. It opens our eyes to the miraculous. It opens our eyes to a fuller life than you can imagine. You know, if we want God involved in our finances, but we feel afraid about the future because we're not sure what God's going to do with us or what's going to happen, Paul says the smartest thing you can do if you're afraid, begin sowing. Begin opening your hand. Because sowing is an invitation to get God involved in the area of our resources. And once he's there, I mean, once we've invited God, who will never force his way into anything, he waits to be invited. If by being generous, that's the invitation for God to be involved in our finances, once Jesus is there, you don't have to be afraid anymore. You know, the reason we fear is because we can't control circumstances. We've all learned that. 
and we can't control God. And so God says to us, how about this? I do know the future. So why don't you invite me into the center of your resource world right now? And the way you do that, open your hands and trust me. You give and watch what happens. Now, again, some might be saying, and I'm coming back to this a lot, so just so we're clear. Some might be saying, so this means if I'm generous, God's going to make me rich? Like it's he doubles back in on what I give? <clears throat> Friends, this isn't about getting rich. That's not what this text is about. I'm talking to those of us who are followers of, of Jesus, who deep down believe that everything belongs to God, everything comes from God, and everything is dispersed by God, but we're standing on the edge wondering if we can really trust God by taking a step of faith into true generosity, by being responsive to the invitations of the Holy Spirit towards generosity. What we're confronting here this weekend is a fear issue. We're afraid of what might come, and I think we're afraid that we might discover God might not be good, if we're totally honest. We're wondering, God, if you want me to live with this open-handed way and to put fear aside and to walk by faith in this area, I need to know that you have me, and I need to know that you're good. You know, one of the things that our finances and resources and how we use it reveals about us, it reveals so much about what we actually think about God and how much we trust him and how good we believe him to be. I think so much of what I deal with is this idea that as long as I have control over things, that's better. And that has been proven not to be true so many times. And yet I keep coming back to that idea that, well, what if God isn't? And yet God has proven himself faithful and good again and again and again. He can be trusted, and yet we confront the fear issue. But friends, it's not generosity or Jesus that we need to be afraid of. What we need to watch out for is when our hands start to close around our finances and we stop sowing seed at all. You think about a farmer who would say, you know, I've got all this seed, I've purchased it, here it is, uh, but I can't sow it all. I can't, I can't put the seed in the ground because then if I do, I won't have seed anymore. How long would that person be a farmer if they just kept holding on to seed because it's like, well, if I put it in the ground, I can't really see it anymore. And then it's gone, Right? I'd like a great harvest, but I'm afraid that if I get the seed out of my head into the ground, well, I'm going to be all out of seeds, and I wouldn't want that. Like I said, if a farmer thinks like that, he won't be a farmer for very long. So here's the challenge. <clears throat> when it comes to being open-handed as stewards of God's resources, are we sowing sparingly, kind of like this, in little bits, or like this, like open-handed generosity, God, it's yours? <clears throat> all of it's yours anyway. You see, if we want God involved right in the center of our financial world, then God says, let us get as much seed as possible, or resources, into circulation for the kingdom now. Let's get this stuff moving. Let's get it out of the barns and get it moving into circulation for the kingdom because God is up to these amazing things. And you get to experience the abundance of a blessed harvest of a return that's greater than you can imagine. And if you're here and all this talk about money scares you and the thought of giving generously makes you feel nauseous, honestly, the wisest thing you can do is to take a step and to start to sow seed and discover the truth of the principle of the harvest for yourself. Because the scripture says that the one who sows sparingly reaps sparingly, <clears throat> and the one who reaps generously, sows generously, reaps generously. 
then Paul moves on to address another issue that usually comes at this point, which is, okay, so how much? Okay, God's good. He has the future. I've invited him into my financial world. But wait, like seriously, how much am I supposed to give? And the answer that Paul gives in this text is really interesting. Verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What Paul is doing here, he's setting up a contrast between what I call planned giving and impulsive giving. How much am I supposed to give when it comes to being fully generous and rich toward God? Paul says, well, you've got to give the amount that you've predetermined in your heart to give. What I think Paul is arguing against is this. He's arguing against the kind of giving that is motivated by guilt or a sense of religious obligation or because some slick presentation by a preacher or someone else is trying to twist my arm into giving more. Paul's saying you don't have to live that way and you don't have to live under the guilt or fear that it's not enough. Paul says there is nothing about that that is pleasing to God. God's not looking for compulsive givers that only respond when the emotion is high or the situation is amped up. That's not what motivates true generosity, and there's very little joy in it. Paul says, listen, why don't you make a plan instead? The amount that you're supposed to give is the amount you decide on once you've sat down in an unencumbered environment and prayerfully planned out your giving ahead of time. It means sitting over our finances in a prayerful posture saying, God, all of this belongs to you. Everything belongs to you, everything comes from you, and everything is dispersed by you. So this is the disbursement that I've been allotted. God, in every way, not just with 5% or 10% or 80%, but with 100%, God, of your resources, how do you want me allocating that in our lives? How do you want this money used? What this does, is it puts us in a posture where God has been invited into the conversation around his resources and how we're to steward that. For him. And I think when it comes to giving honestly and being generous, there's, the fact is, so many of us, we actually don't have a plan. And so we find ourselves in moments where we're reacting to a particular ask or reacting out of a sense of guilt. And the truth is, most times when that's happening, our heart isn't in it. You see, if we think that it's our money that God is after, we've got it all wrong. It all belongs to him anyway. God's attention is on our hearts and on the motives behind what we do. So if there is guilt or religious obligation or fear that's driving our giving, you know what? Just hang on to it for a bit. Keep it. It's okay. It's not what God is after. It's not what God is after. The invitation to giving that we see here in Scripture is that we go home, we sit down, we prayerfully consider all the resources financial and otherwise. We consider all the resources that God has entrusted by his grace to our care, and then we ask, how much seed are we going to sow in generosity? Then let's decide, and let's do it, and then let's just follow through. Let's see how that goes. That way, whether things go great financially or things get tough, we constantly remain in a prayerful, relational position of deciding in advance how much seed we're going to sow, and then do it. And then we follow through. And when this happens, I know it can be hard for some of you to believe this honestly. Giving actually becomes a joy. When it's not compulsive, when it's not forced, when you've set out a plan and you actually get to contribute to the things that God has put on your heart to fund within his kingdom, I don't know how else to explain it, but you actually start looking forward 
to that moment when that contribution can happen. I know it might seem impossible, but it's true. There's an adventure in this kind of giving that inspires the heart. And if we want God to be at the center of our financial lives, we not only commit to sowing seed, we do it thoughtfully and prayerfully in relational collaboration with God. And Paul goes on in this passage and he explains the why behind all of this and why God would allow the rule of the harvest to apply to giving. And it has a lot to do with God and less to do about us. Because what we're discovering is that we're avenues or channels through which God is resourcing his work in the world. It's all about God and his mission. And we simply get to join in on the fun as his apprentices, as disciples. Look at verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now that's a verse, hey? You see that? And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's a verse of abundance, isn't it, friends? Right? You see that verse 6 and 7 talk about what we're able to do. We have some seed to sow and we can make a plan. And then verse 8 says, now look at what God is able to do. He's able to bless you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work or you will have abundance for every good deed. Like all the things that God has prepared in advance for you to do, like the scripture talks about. What if that's already fully resourced? Because God has said, here's some open-handed people. And they're not worshiping their resources. They're not holding tight. They're sowing seeds. So here's what I'm going to invite those kind of people into. I'm going to invite them into a promise that they can hang on to. That says at all times, in all things, having all that you need, you will abound in everything I'm calling you to. You will never be left short in being responsive to the promptings of the Spirit. And can you imagine a more secure financial position than that? When the God of the universe says to you, all things, all times, all that you need, abounding in every good work. This is true, folks. That we can be fully engaged in God's work in the world. And I think that's pretty great. I think that sounds like a lot of fun. Look at this with me, verse 9. And all of a sudden, Paul goes into this other spot. He says, and they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. And he pulls this quote out. And why does he say that? He's talking about what God's up to in the world and our participation with God. Why does he say that? Because this. God is saying to his church, listen, I have made a commitment to the poor. You know, all through scripture, God makes promises to the poor and the needy, to the marginalized. Like he covenants himself with the poor, with the unjustly treated, with the orphan, the widow, the fatherless. All Like you know how many times in scripture, God himself covenants with himself and makes commitments to the poor. Right? So he's, God says, I've made a commitment to the poor, and the way I'm supplying the needs of the poor is through the generous sowing of those who have more than the poor. God says, I don't need to create more money out of thin air. That's not how this works. No, God is in the process of reallocating wealth and shifting resources in order to accomplish what he wants done in the world. God has made a commitment to the poor and to those that are in need and the way that he is going to fulfill his promises is by including us in the fulfilling of that promise when we allocate with open hands things towards those in need that fulfill the promise of God that he's made to them. When we're fully generous and rich toward God, you know what happens? The world gets better. When we're fully generous and rich toward God, 
people who are on the bottom rung of the social, socioeconomic ladder start to get a hand up. People talk about different hand out, hand up, whatever else. They get a hand. They get help. And I know that there's some, whenever we talk about poverty and the poor and everything else, within our contexts here, I know some stuff comes up about, well, you know, people, it's their own decision how they've got there. And they, you know, if I give them money, they're going to use the poor, are going to use it on bad things or whatever else. Can I just say to you, friends, not your business. How the poor maybe use the resources that you give, because you know why? It's not your money that's being given anyway. And when we live responsibly to the Spirit, when God says, listen, I'm setting in motion my promise to help the poor, and I'm including my church in on it, it means that when the Spirit says, it's time to give of your resources to help those who don't have any, we don't have to ask any more questions. We just do. We just respond to the promptings of the Spirit and say, God, we're going to make a plan in how to respond to the needs of the poor as you, God, are keeping your commitment. We're going to join you in that. When you think about it, this explains the rule of the harvest. God is inviting us to sow seed generously on purpose to involve us in his work of caring for people and having lives transformed. It's why we exist as a church. And friends, honestly, whether you give to this ministry or to other charities or whatever else, that's not what I'm after here. But honestly, like as a church, when we talk about we're about fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together, if you choose to invest in this ministry here, we want to make the commitment to you that we're joining Jesus in the commitments he's made to help people and the transformation of human lives. That's what we're about here. Now, if that's what's going on and if that's what God is up to, it means that we can sow fearlessly, fearless generosity as God directs us because we can count on God to keep his promises to us. What's at the base and foundation of all the generosity talk is the foundational understanding that God is good and keeps his promises and that he is faithful. Here's the last thing, verse 10, says this. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. That's the harvest return. Remember I said I'd come back to that. Just hang on to that verse righteousness right there. It says, the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest. Now Paul adds it, of your righteousness. That means or your justice. Of right things being done in the world. And you will be enriched in this way, in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. The return on the investment when we sow generously and get resources into circulation for the kingdom is we are participating in the justice and righteousness of God being expanded in the world. So honestly, friends, if you ever watch the news or you're on social media feeds and you're like, why is there so much injustice? Why is there so much unrighteousness? You know one of the ways that God is resolving that and redeeming that in the world is when his followers get generous and fund the things that are on the heart of God so that the harvest is righteousness, the harvest is justice, the harvest is love and good, goodness and kindness and joy. That's what's happening here. This is more than just, well, I got to put a little money towards the God stuff and hopefully God does good back to me. 
This is about God's mission in the world and us participating with God and seeing more justice and more righteousness start to roll like a river through all of the broken and messed up places and lives that are all around us, including ours. So that's what's at stake. And the result of this is gratitude to God. It says that what happens is this service that we perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, it overflows in many expressions of thanks to God. It ends up in worship. And what this world is sorely lacking is worship of Jesus. There's more worshipers. It transforms everything. You know, friends, this text has been abused so many times over the years, but the text can't be really more clear. This isn't about God making us rich. The text says we already are rich. We have everything we need. And we have seed to sow. <clears throat> and God wants to enrich us in every way so we can be generous on every occasion. So back to where we started. If all of this is true, like pretend for a moment that all of this is actually true. So what are we afraid of? I mean, if God is good and keeps his promises, what are we afraid of? What are we scared of? What's this going to look like for us? You see, because friends, honestly, in the area of money and resources is just, just one area, but it speaks to this whole idea of walking by faith or by fear. There's only two ways to make a decision in life. Either fear makes the decision or faith makes the decision. There's no third option. And I think, honestly, with everything that we're wanting to do as a church, this is the question we're going to keep coming up against again and again and again. No matter what we're talking about, finances or otherwise, is fear making the decision or is faith making the decision? Which voice has the predominant voice in our lives? And that's what I want us to consider. As we conclude our series in generosity, I hope that you've been experiencing what it might be like to walk into God's promises and find out how good he is. <clears throat> because he is so good to us. And I want us to pause. And as I started this series four weeks ago, I commissioned you to an adventure of generosity, to being fearless and having the voice of fear silenced in our lives. And I want to conclude our series. In a moment, we're going to do the giving liturgy. But would you pause and pray with me for just a moment? Yeah, Jesus, whether it's in the area of finances or anything else, I feel like in my life and many of our lives, the voice of fear is getting a little too much airtime. And you want us free from that. You want us to be living as, your, as followers who are free in areas of finances and resources and every other way in life. And so church, I'm going to ask you just to pause with me for a moment. And would you just consider in the quiet, in any area of life, where do you sense the voice of fear is getting too much airtime. We're giving too much of our listening ear, too much of our hearts to a voice of fear. Like think about even over this last week, I feel like this is the phrase, you know, we are in conversation and we're talking about a decision and we're talking about the decision we're going to make and it comes with this phrase, yeah, I'm doing that because I'm just afraid that, and then we say whatever it is that we're going to do. It's not how God wants us to live. And so would you pause with me?
Let's just ask, Jesus, where is the voice of fear getting too much airtime? And it can be anywhere. And let's just bring that before the Lord together. Would you do that with me? And now, if you want to, I invite you to open your hands in front of you. We started this series saying we're going to be about being open-handed. And fear always, always wants to paralyze. Fear always wants to have us close our fists. And so let's open our hands. Like physically, we'll open our hands before you, Jesus. And over this body, over this community, for everything that's been thought of in the last few moments, in the name of Jesus, we renounce the voice and power of fear. We come to you, Jesus, with open hands, ready to receive from you by faith the good life that you have in mind for us. Jesus, for all the ways that the decisions we're making have been motivated by fear, we repent of those. We confess that. We speak the truth. Jesus, this is true of us. We've listened to fear sometimes. But we want that to end, and we want to be people of faith. We don't want small, cold, measured lives. We want to live full. We want to live free. We want to live abundantly. And so, Jesus, you ask us to open our hands and to trust you, and so we do. And thank you that in this church, in this body, among these people, we can say, going forward from today, we want faith to make the decision, not fear. And so keep us mindful of where fear is influencing our thinking. And Jesus, we will respond to you by faith. And I believe in the months to come, in the days to come, we'll experience a joy like we never have before. And so set your people free today, Jesus, I pray. As we have our open hands before you in all things, for you are good and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.